The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, you know what? Uh, we're going to have one of those conversations that um, some people might find very difficult, others might find uh, healing, but uh, most importantly, it's an important conversation to have. And the more we talk about it, um, I think the better things um, will become. Since 2003, September 10th has been marked as World Suicide Prevention Day in Edmonton. Um, this number was a little surprising. They say as many as 11 people consider taking consider taking their life every day. Uh, joining me in studio this afternoon, Jennifer Martin, the chair of the Alberta Critical Incident Advisory Council, and Jeff Sitch, who is a registered psychologist and the clinical director with the network. Jen, Jeff, it sounds like 70 or 1970s uh, siblings right here, eh? <laughs> uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining me in studio this afternoon. Thanks for having us. I uh, want to go back. Uh, if, if some of you are, are wondering where do I know Jennifer Martin's name from, Jennifer, of course, was on television here for a long time at... A channel way A back channel, in the day. A TV, Alberta Primetime, Kissin', like, you name it. I worked in this building. Yes, <laughs> and, and worked uh, worked here as well. And uh, Jen and I go back uh, a, a long, long time. So I'm, I'm thrilled to catch up with you in here now, having the conversation that we're going to have. I wish it was under different circumstances, but but um, Jen invited you know both of you in to have a very serious conversation. And Jen, I invited you specifically is because you have lived through this. You have have gone through um, uh, the death of, of your husband uh, by suicide and 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 I and I'm sure at the time you're like what the hell's going on but looking back to say the least right yeah. um, I, I don't know where you want to start with that story your your husband was a police officer yeah and you know everybody's story is different mm-hmm. and um, I think it's important to know that everything we say here is is our individual story but the key message is is um, it's real it can happen when you least expect it. Uh, it usually shocks everyone around, and then you look and go, well, why didn't I know, and why didn't I do something about it? And that's why this conversation is so important. Um, so, number one, if you think someone's struggling, don't turn away. It's hard, but lean in. Do you have a plan? Are you going to do something crazy to yourself? Just ask. It's the worst thing, but I'll tell you what's worst is having it happen and wishing you'd had asked. Yeah. So, yeah, Brad was a police officer uh, and, um, you know, I married an incredible person and um, I, you know, we will never really know because unfortunately we didn't ask all of the questions we needed to, but uh, 14 concussions later, like serious, like bleeding from the ear, Mm. like knocked right out, like concussions, 14 between sports and policing um, and probably seeing a lot of awful, awful things, you know, big, huge, giant, scary guy, but boy was he sensitive (laughs) and had a big heart and did he ever love his family? But, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde personality that came out. Um, and this was after he'd retired from policing. Yeah. So I didn't even make the connection. Um, and so, yeah, just really, really many, 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 many scary, difficult years in the home. And it's not his fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did wind up taking his life. And, um, gosh, how long was that ago? That 10 was 2011, and I found him, and um, a year later, there I am, ready to leave the planet, because I can't stand the torture of what I saw, and the guilt, and the wishing I had of known, and 
the unanswered questions and um, so there a year later I had a plan I was going to drop my kids off at the airport for their annual visit to grandma and grandpa in Ontario and um, do my seatbelt and drive as hard as I could into that first bridge abutment um, and call the RCMP so no civilian would find me well isn't that nice on some officer's mm. day mm. like it it's it's hard to comprehend how can things be so bad that you would even think of that. Um, usually the pain that you're feeling, whatever it is, is no longer bearable. And I, I know it's hard to even imagine what that is, but having experienced, you can get there. It's no longer bearable night and day, 24-7. And so taking your life becomes the answer. Like, this is like a comfy blanket I'm going to crawl under because everything will be better. Jeff, a lot of people wouldn't be able to understand what what, what Jennifer is, is talking uh, about, that, that pain that becomes so unbearable. Um, can, can you explain that from uh, a psychology perspective? Well, I think that what happens is when people are impacted by what's going on, um, that hopelessness, that helplessness, those are the sort of two biggest predictors that a person is at risk for suicide. It really sort of says that they don't see a way out of the pain that they're in. And oftentimes what they don't equate is suicide to the end of their life that they, they equate it to the end of their suffering, but mm. they don't equate it to the end of their life. And that's what we, we, we need to be aware of, that, that we need to educate people that reaching out, saying I am suicidal or I'm thinking about ending my life or I can't bear this pain should open the door to an understanding. But right now there's a stigma that leads us to a misunderstanding. Um, we do a lot of things to prevent people from suicide, but we're really not r addressing the turmoil and the psychological pain that people are in and focus on reducing that and making it normal to have that conversation. I think that also what's really important is that um, Jennifer, unfortunately, her experience is not unique in that she um, suffered the loss of a loved one to suicide, but that also had those suicidal thoughts. Um, I think that we've all been touched by loss due to suicide and at some point in our life felt that overwhelming, like I don't know what else to mm -hmm. do. And then it goes from degrees to that and then that hopelessness that helplessness that despair sort of lean into it is there an element of self-loathing because I think sometimes people also feel worthless at that point. I think that um, it's different for everybody. It usually is, can be um, a depth of despair, of, of sadness, guilt, shame. It, it's, it's unique. I can't say that there's a formula that we can sort of say, well, here's the template to look for. Um, just that hopelessness and helplessness for whatever reason, but beyond that, the experience can be really, really unique. And that there, you know, it, it takes that openness to ask for help, that openness to be able to say, I'm struggling right now, which I'm not so sure society, even even the introduction said, we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation yeah. for some people. I, I labeled it. And Why I, is it I probably uncomfortable? Have, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. Well, and, and here's the thing. I, I think it's uh, it's uncomfortable, I think, uh, you know, for, for some of, you know, my listeners, because mm -hmm. they haven't had to, to talk about it. Uh, I mean, in your work, you, you deal with it. Jen's mm -hmm. had to deal with it on, you know, on a personal front. I've had to deal with it with the with the uh, the death of my ne nephew Jasper uh, 10 years ago and so um, you know as we kind of pull back the curtains on it a little bit more we're, we're revealing some really really raw 
emotions and and raw maybe issues and and I think that's what makes people uncomfortable yeah. and people don't know how to talk necessarily. I, I think about. that's what's key is that uh, if somebody approached you saying I don't know what else to do I'm at my wit's end I'm helpless and hopeless I think that what the uncomfortable conversation is is do I know what to do to respond to that so the discomfort isn't about it's almost like we're we're too comfortable with a loss due to suicide where we need to shift the conversation that says are we comfortable about having the conversation about the potential for suicide and being able to intervene and where we're really making a shift is with our first responders Mm -hmm. that not only have their worst day by responding to our worst day and to suicides and loss but that they also then feel like there's now something wrong or broken with them to let somebody know that as a consequence of their work that they're impacted and they feel that sense of loss that hopelessness helplessness grief so what do we do i think there's a there's a i think uh, i don't even know what the reward is i i think that there's this belief that people who are going to um who who want to take their lives are not going to talk about it are not asking for help or not necessarily coming to you and ask you for help because i didn't want anyone to stop me you didn't want anyone to stop and i also didn't it was you're not going to walk around and how are you? Well, I'm actually thinking of taking my life today. Like, it's just not what we do. In so, society. so how are we, so if someone does come to us and if we say, you know, how, how are you doing today? And someone says, you know, I'm not doing well. I'm actually, I'm, I'm having these thoughts. What do we do at that point? Well, well I think it's, it's really making a open conversation that doesn't take just us saying, how are you doing? But also the person being able to say, do you have a couple of minutes to talk. Mm. I think that from the program that we're part of is it's being able to train people who are working side by side, who are living side by side, who are functioning side by side, that notice some change, that sort of say, how are you doing? And I really like to say the message, what's wrong with not being okay? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with admitting that listen, you know, not being okay isn't okay in some people's mind. And I want to shift that conversation to say that being not okay is sometimes the norm. And having that conversation and seeking those supports and recognizing it and approaching the conversation, that's what's going to save lives. And I think, too, from my experience, if you don't know how to respond, because honestly, who who does? What do you do at that point when someone says that? I think looking back, I mean, I didn't know and I didn't take, you know, the warning signs seriously. I didn't even know the warning signs. So, um, I, But I think if you've got an inkling and you're not sure what to do, I think you've got to be a little bit relentless and say, okay, I don't know how to help you, but let's find someone who can. So, Jen, with you and you and Brad, I mean, he didn't say, hey, I'm thinking of, of doing this. But you said, looking back now, he, you can see. You know what? I, I, I was worried about him. Mm. But because our home life had been so difficult for so many years with unexplained anger, mm. with unexplained, demeaning, degrading, just nasty. that I didn't know where it was coming from. So me and my sons were walking around on eggshells because he was not well. Yeah. Um, I just thought he was a jerk. Mm. But no, this poor guy is dealing with something that I found out far too late uh, with no supports. So for me, I was too wounded at the time to help him. Mm. Um, I did reach out to some of his friends to say he's not doing well. Here's what's going on. You know, be there for him. Um, 
Is that is yeah. that is that a suggestion? If if you're if you're worried about someone, maybe to to wave the flag a little bit. I had a conversation not too long ago, and it's you know I, I don't want to get into the details because it's not, it's their their story. But uh, uh, someone close to me worried about a friend um, who is living far away, and and he hasn't heard from this person in a very long time. And I said you might want to reach out to the family if you haven't heard yeah. out to this. Mm-hmm. You heard out. Yeah. Is that is that okay to do? I think people are worried about ticking off the other person. Well, that's the thing, though, right? I like to say when better mad than dead. I'd rather have them mad at me that I'm checking in on them than sort of go, I don't want to cause a discomfort and then find out that they've actually, you know, ended their life. So I have this analogy that sort of says, you know, better mad than dead. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're mad at me for checking in or asking the question, I can live with that. What I can't live with is being uncomfortable with the conversation, not asking it, and having those con- th- those consequences. My kids are still, they still have difficulty talking about it. I try to make it a normal thing in our house. How old were the kids? They were 14 and 16. Mm. And um, I still try to bring it up because, you know, I worry about them as they go through life. Things might trigger things in them. They're, they're, they're men and we know men are more prone. Um, so you know how do you normalize it I think you talk about it and even in my own home I know how difficult that is and awkward but I think that's the key too is our young people is um as Jeff said let's talk less about the after the fact the person has left us but Mm -hmm. let's talk about how do we lean in when there's still a chance to do something and I think young people are you know especially with social media and Mm. we've seen some tragedies there um but the communication I think is uh is there to be had and I think young people are a big key too. Jennifer Martin and Jeff Sitch joining me in studio this afternoon today is World Suicide Prevention Day Uh, they're both a very big part of the Alberta Critical Incident Advisory Council want to talk a little bit about that when we come back stay with us jennifer martin jeff sits joining me in studio we're talking um on this um suicide prevention day jeff the number that uh, we started this conversation with it says in edmonton as many as 11 people consider taking their life every day uh someone just texted and said 11 wow that's a lot It seems reasonable. Um, I can speak from just a recent study that was looking at first responders. And if we look at those that either think about plan or attempt suicide, we actually know in first responders it's three times the rate of the regular population. So uh, unfortunately in the work that I do, I would have to say that those numbers don't surprise me. Um, I have the benefit of having, um, working with a group of talented individuals who care, peers that reach out and and recognize these, that that link people, that recognize the signs, and within first responder communities can sort of say, hey, I notice you're struggling, do you need to talk to somebody? open those doors and we I like to focus on rather than um, you know what what's reported is usually the, the loss is due to suicide I have that ability to know the saves by having an effective program for our first responders that actually recognizes um, provides an intervention and links those to the most appropriate help when they need it at whatever time of day or night and I like to focus on change the conversation to those saves we know that there are things especially for our first responders who are considering suicide, there are things that we can do. We know they work. And um, as a, over the last two years in the province, we've been, try, we've been rolling out this program and we're seeing the effect 
we still see losses in our first responders due to suicide, um, but we actually are seeing an increase in those asking and seeking help. Their successes. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so my volunteer role <laughs> is the chair of the Alberta Critical Incident Advisory Council. Uh, we try to provide funding and governance for what Jeff's talking about, the peer network. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my husband was a first responder. Uh, he did take his life. And so that's my motivation to do this as my volunteer work. And, um, you know, we found a program that's clinically based. So the firefighters, whoever wants to volunteer as a fellow first responder gets training. They know what to say, what not to say. We keep them on track with that. And if there's a first responder in the province that is part of our program and we've got, uh, you know, dozens of, of departments and forces that have joined even, you know, certain and rescue and ski patrollers um, they can call someone and they'll get uh, almost an immediate response and they'll have a peer who's walked in their shoes who's walked up to a fatal car crash who's walked up to a fatal house fire or what have you a drug overdose and they'll get the support that they need our you know Albertans love our first responders we got to do better for them so we've approached the Jason Kenney uh, government for some very modest funding to keep this volunteer peer network it's basically a suicide hotline for first responders and we need the Kenny government to really step up they are listening we're waiting for a decision okay. I just you know we can't have any more of these great men and women take their lives because of their work I think in addition to the program um, that is calling in asking for help what we really are is having peers sort of in the halls in the offices in the places that our first responders work that are really um, on the ground recognizing the signs and symptoms that um, those that are struggling can reach out to but also that we do a lot of um, pre-education meaning that in the line of work that you do uh, you are going to be exposed to things that at time overwhelm you that may have you lose your hope in humanity or or you know question a lot of things lose hope loop be, become um, well it's you know, so traumatic yeah, too you yeah. can know what's going to happen but yep. when you see it yeah. for the first time and then you can't shut it off when yeah, you yeah. Exactly. go to sleep at night. So, so I think the work really starts in preparing people for what they're going to do in their role and um, whether it be hospital-based care, whether it be pre-hospital enforcement, uh, fire, search and rescue, helping them understand that um, on our worst day they are responding and that it is going to have an impact, that they're, you know, that they're able to acknowledge that the psychological injury because of what they do um, may have have, um, you know, consequences of feeling those helplessness. And so helpless it's giving feelings. them some armor, some exactly. emotional armor. How do yeah. people find out more about this? They can reach out to us. We have a toll-free number that's available 24-7 that's operated by peers, and it is 1-833-894-2476. That is for first responders in the province of Alberta who feel that they need support from others that do the work that they do. And we have a website. We do. You can go on to uh, ABCISM. .ca so abcism .ca uh, before and, and we're we're almost out of time and I'm getting the stink eye in there from my from my op but I but I do want to ask uh, this 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 question because we we touched on it just briefly in the break um, I said um, to you Jeff I said you know that you know, reaching out for that help it must when you get to that point it must take a lot of work to 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 pull back from that from that edge and you said Surprisingly, it just takes reminding the person of the one thing that will keep them grounded on this planet and um, the reason that they have to go forward. And from there, um, 
they, they, they're reminded of the reason that life continues, that there is some hope. So giving a person hope is really the, the key. And uh, it, it maybe because I do this every day, it's a little bit different, but that one key is, is all that it takes, starting there. For Jen, it was uh, a sunrise and her kids. Yeah, my, I was standing on the back deck and I, after my own husband's suicide a year later, I was ready to leave the planet. I just couldn't take it anymore, the pain. And um, I was had a right and left moment and I chose to go right because I thought I can't leave these boys. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for making taking the right Our pleasure decision. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, Jennifer and Jeff, thank you for joining me this afternoon having this conversation. Um, if you need help right now, the Canadian Mental Health Association has a 24-hour distress line. It's 780-482-HELP. That's 4357. Again, if you're a first responder looking for help, it's 1-833-894-2476. Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.